Hey, I know you're probably driving or running or cleaning the house or doing something else when you're listening to this, but look, if you're a B2B marketer and you need to start generating revenue from your marketing, then you have to check out our 12-week program, the B2B Incubator. It's built for small in-house B2B marketing teams with limited time and budget. We give you the strategy, the templates, and the tools to start driving revenue, not just leads. So if you're ready to act on all the advice Kevin and I give you, next time you take that first sip of coffee in the morning, make sure you head to the b2bincubator.com and apply now. There's only 10 spots available per cohort with our next one launching in February 2024. Remember, the b2bincubator.com. Apply now so you don't miss out. We've had B2B marketing managers, CMOs, marketers in demand journal roles, and content leads and more all go through this program and they're currently executing the demand strategy that they created in it. Again, make sure you check out the b2bincubator.com and apply now to start driving more demand and more revenue for your brand. Okay, let's get on with the show. and welcome to the B2B Playbook Podcast. Each week, we discuss strategies and tactics to help B2B businesses grow online. We're your hosts, Kevin and George, a couple of digital marketing professionals. We've waded through the noise and made the mistakes so you don't have to. The B2B world has changed and you need to put your customers at the heart of your marketing. We'll cover how you can use our framework, the five Bs, to create a brand that customers are ready to buy from, love and advocate for. We'll get insights from successful people in the industry and cover the latest trends to keep you on the cutting edge of the B2B world. If you're interested in B2B marketing strategies and tactics that work, then this podcast is for you. Subscribe to get the latest from the B2B playbook first. Remember, successful B2B marketing starts with the buyer. Welcome back to the B2B Playbook. Listeners, this week we're talking about how marketers can conduct sales analysis to help your team win more deals and drive more revenue. Kev, 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 this sits nicely within Be Better, the fourth season of our podcast that we're currently in, and the fourth being the 5Bs framework. Quick recap of our 5Bs framework, or at least the first four Bs, because that's what we've talked about so far. The first B is be ready, and that's all about how to really deeply understand the customer, do the hard work at your end. Be helpful is the second B. That's about how to start using content to educate and start building those relationships at scale. Be seen is really about how to amplify all the amazing, helpful work that you're doing um, to build those relationships faster. We talk about how to use things like paid media there, ABM, and Kev, be better. It's the fourth B in our five Bs framework, and it's all about optimizing your B2B marketing workflow. That's right, George. That's the first four Bs of our five Bs framework. And now we're at the stage where hopefully listeners, you're regularly driving leads and we want to take a step back and do an honest assessment of whether those leads are being closed by sales and review how we in marketing can improve that process. George, we're going to first look at the important metrics to measure as part of this honest assessment and then different ways to make the entire marketing and sales process more efficient. But before we jump into that, it's good to see you again, George. It's been a couple of weeks away. I know, it has been a few weeks away. I mean, we batch record some of our episodes, so the listeners won't know that, Kev, you and I haven't seen each other um, in about a month or so, and you have moved overseas. You're not even in bloody Australia anymore. Where are you? 
Yeah, that's right. I'm now in London, and you're right. We haven't seen each other even virtually for a couple of weeks, so it's nice to see your face again, George. And we are recording uh, remotely. I am here in London, uh, just in for a couple of weeks now. And previously, you were away as well, George. So it's nice to be on the same, uh, well, not on the same time zone, but at least on the same page again. It's bizarre that the quality of this interaction and the video stream that we're getting is way better than when you're just like 10 kilometers down the road <laughs> in Sydney, Australia, Kevin. That's very I, I, true. Don't, I don't know what that means. Um, we record using Riverside. I don't know if they need to do a little bit more work <laughs> over at our end, but <laughs> wow. Uh, maybe you're going to have to stay there a bit longer, Kev, because this is working nicely. Yeah, that's right. Uh, I don't think we've ever had quality this good. And, you know, I'm on pretty chunky internet at my end. So it turns out Riverside <laughs> just needed me to move to a different continent. <laughs> All right, Kev, look, I'm excited about today's episode because I think something you and I are both really passionate about is marketing needs to be taken a little bit more seriously. And the idea that just because we're in marketing, it doesn't mean that we're doing all these fluffy activities, that we're chasing vanity metrics and we're doing stuff that looks pretty and doesn't matter. That couldn't be further from the truth. Marketers deserve a seat at the table. And to do that, if they really want to be taken very seriously when it comes to having a seat at the table, Kev, we need to start thinking about how our activities are impacting things further down the line. So in particular, Kev, I want to look at pipeline. So why is it important for a marketer to analyze pipeline, Kev? Well, I mean, we've spoken about it at length already. We think that in order to have a sustainable growth engine, you've got to be able to analyze the pipeline, the pipeline of business that's coming through that's being generated from your marketing efforts so you can see, are you generating enough business from your marketing and are you doing it at a rate that is profitable or at least sustainable for the business that you're working in? Yeah, you need to make sure that the marketing engine, uh, the, the engine that you're growing to help growth in the business that you're in is affordable and sustainable. As you said, it's this mindset that elevates you from the very much run-of-the-mill lead machine thinking that is prevalent in our industry and and to be an incredibly valuable business asset rather than how many leads can I drive to hit a metric that somebody has arbitrarily set without really looking at the numbers and how those leads translates into impact in your business. And maybe that analysis is done once upon a time, even if it's a, a particularly good case, but uh, often that goes by the wayside and then it quickly turns into a race to the bottom or a race to as many leads as you can, which generally means a poorer quality of leads. Yeah, well, let's talk through that scenario, Kevin, that we've experienced ourselves as marketers, both agency side and working in-house and the situation I'm sure so many of our listeners have experienced themselves. Now, marketers, we know that at some point you're getting pressured to generate leads and you're handed an MQL target. Now, marketing qualified lead is what MQL start, stands for. And Kev, the big issue with MQLs is they're often very poorly defined. So sometimes they can be something as simple as an ebook download. So you put together an, e an ebook on you know the top 10 best things that are happening in your industry, whatever it might be, put it behind an email gate, send some paid ads behind it, and you collect a whole lot of email addresses from it. Now, that incentivizes marketers to generate as many of those MQLs as possible uh, because that is what we're being directed to do. Marketing's target is the number of MQLs. And the issue with that, Kevin, is very few of those actually become good opportunities that can be won by sales. 
marketers might be cheering while they're smashing those MQL goals, you know, like getting slaps on the backs. It's happened to us before. Um, I have this one client in particular, Kevin, that I have in mind that was, you know, literally doing a dance on the other side of our video call being like, you boys are crushing it. But then eventually, Kevin, the business is going to do an analysis to calculate the cost per acquisition of getting those leads that marketing are bringing in all the way to sales and taking into account the time that it actually takes sales to service, not just the leads that turn to sales, but the ones that didn't. And the result, Kev, is actually not good news for marketers because it turns out that it's a grossly inefficient sales process because we're sending them tons and tons of leads, only very few are converting, but sales still has to spend their time with all of those who aren't. Listeners, we encourage you to start this conversation early about quality over quantity and try to get ahead of it as soon as you can. Yeah, it's a very important uh, issue to look at. Things might look rosy, but underneath the surface, they really are trending in a bad way. And that is often the case. Um, Really, a a lot of factors go into that. Uh, The way the system is set up and the understanding that we have generally going into this point of marketing is it's really geared towards lead generation in a lot of senses. Things are starting to change and that's great to see, um, but as marketers, individuals in businesses, it's important to get ahead of that trend and to make sure you're looking at it before anyone else does, uh, before it becomes an issue within the business and it's kind of out of your control at that point. Uh, It's things that we've personally experienced, as George said, and really the the costs really add up for those leads, particularly when the conversion rate uh, drops off very quickly. That's it. It's not just the cost of the business, Kev, but it can be quite stressful too. Um, Having been in that position as a marketer, when you find out that what you're doing isn't really working, isn't helping drive the business forward, that becomes quite stressful. So listeners, that's why Kevin and I are here. We're here to help you learn from our own mistakes and give you the playbook so then you don't have to go through that pain yourself. All right, Kev, let's jump into what metrics to measure when we're looking at the pipeline, um, when we're doing our analysis of our pipeline. And the first one, Kev, that I want to look at when we're going to measure and judge the quality of our marketing is opportunity rate. So what is opportunity rate, Kev? That's of the number of leads that marketing are bringing in, how many of those are actually turning into sales qualified opportunities that could then be won? Now, it's important to try and work this out as a percentage by dividing the total number of opportunities that you're generating by the total number of leads that you brought in. For example, if 30 out of 100 leads that you bring in turn into opportunities, you'd have an opportunity rate of 30%. Now, it's important to look at an opportunity rate, Kev, because as we just said, it starts to shift your mindset away from quantity to quality. So we are no longer having sales waste their time endlessly calling leads who have no intent on doing business with you. So it's a really good idea to see it as a percentage because you can see if the quality of the leads that you're bringing in is starting to deteriorate or not. So for example, Kev, if that opportunity rate is 30% and that starts declining, well, then you know that the leads that you're bringing in aren't as strong and that actually warrants an investigation into all your marketing activities that you're doing that are bringing in those opportunities. So Kev, percentage is really key there because, you know, budgets change, demand changes. So, you know, it's no good just saying, oh, we had 30 opportunities last month and we have 40 opportunities this month. That means we're getting better. No, it doesn't. Not necessarily. What if your budget has changed? And what if the total number of leads is actually far larger and your opportunity rate actually dropped? So 
very key to look at it as a percentage. That's true, George. And taking it a step further, once you worked out your opportunity rate, you can also look at the cost per opportunity that you need to hit to be profitable for the business as a whole. So obviously that means you're still targeting your opportunity rate because the higher that rate is, the higher your target per opportunity can be. Uh, But both, again, focus on quality over quantity. It just brings in that element of how scalable is it, how profitable is it into the picture as well. And this is a conversation that you might need to have with the finance team and other stakeholders in the business to help work these numbers out and to get everyone on the same page so that sales is potentially looking at the same numbers as well. Instead of just looking at leads, you know, it can be a slow process to bring them across to this way of thinking, but these are the first steps towards that. It's a great point, Kev, is bringing those other stakeholders into that conversation. Um, and often you will need to do that to try and get that information and data. I understand that marketers, you might not have access to all of that at your fingertips. So it's a great excuse to go out there and start that investigation with um, those other important stakeholders in the business. All right, Kev, let's take it one step beyond opportunity rate and let's go all the way to win rate. So those deals that you've actually won. Now, many marketers are probably going to say, Kev, you know what? At the point, it's an opportunity my job is done. It's off to sales now. I've given them the opportunity. You know, I've put the ball on the tee. The sales are just got to smack it out of the park. Not true. Not true marketing. I'm going to say that's a bad attitude because you need to keep nurturing and marketing all the way until that person becomes a customer, and sometimes even beyond. So when marketing and sales work together, that's really, Kev, where that magic happens. So it's really important to look at the win rate relative to the opportunity rate. Look at, hey, is there a significant drop-off between opportunity rate and win rate? If so, why? You might need to talk to sales to find out, you know, why aren't these deals closing? Do the prospects need more education? Is there something else that marketing can help with? Is there something that should have disqualified these prospects from ever becoming an opportunity in the first place? Perhaps there's a distinguishing quality about that company which would have disqualified them and then maybe we can start to remove them from our targeting in our own marketing efforts, Kev. Something that doesn't make them quite a great fit for our business at this point in time. And I really feel that an open line of communication between sales and marketing is so vital because they're the ones who are getting that data from the customer. At the point where they're that opportunity, Kev, they've more than likely had that meeting with them. And so they're the ones who are able to get that feedback for you. Sorry to interrupt guys, but I need to let you know that our next cohort of the B2B Incubator is launching in February 2024. For those who don't know, the B2B Incubator is our no fluff program that gives you the strategy, the templates and the tools that you need to drive more revenue for your business, not just leads. It's built for small in-house marketing teams with limited time and budget. So if you're ready to act on all the advice that we give you and you want to start driving more revenue for your business, next time you sit down at your desk with a cup of coffee, remember to head to the b2bincubator.com and apply now. There's only 10 spots available per cohort. So apply now for our cohort launching in February 2024 so you don't miss out. The b2bincubator.com. Check it out. All right, back to the episode. Yeah, this is a very powerful point, listeners. I'll give you two examples that really illustrate this. First is 
And this is an example from our own experience. Um, a particular client in this case was doing a good job bringing in leads, um, but the issue was a lot of the sales team were complaining that this wasn't being closed. The leads were just very poor quality and really slowing down the sales team in terms of finding those opportunities that were right. And in a conversation with the sales team, we figured out that specifically a lot of the questions uh, that came in that caused the opportunities not to close were related to an education piece. They didn't really know in the sign-up process what to do at certain steps. The sort of projects that came through, the requests that came through were quite poor. Um, and so there was a lot of back and forth with the sales team to figure out what is mostly technical issues that probably should have been educated in a video or piece of content much earlier in the journey. So we put up a piece of content like that um, right at the beginning of the journey on the website and lo and behold that opportunity rate and the close rate went up a lot so that win rate improved a lot just because of that and the sales team were getting a lot higher quality leads they were spending a lot less time educating in that sales process and everything started to improve and you wouldn't really find that unless you were talking to the sales team directly from the marketing team to find that out and to implement that action because a lot of that would have to happen at the marketing end. But we wouldn't know in marketing to do that if we didn't talk to sales. So the two teams really have to work together. So that's example number one. Another example was over time, Initially, the marketing team were doing a really good job bringing in the leads that were relevant and the sales team had a very high close rate and win rate. But the issue was over time that started to shift and deteriorate. And the marketing team didn't really notice this uh, for some time because you know the lead numbers were good, the metrics they were looking at were very good. The sales team, on the other hand, was steadily growing more and more discontent with the quality of the leads. Uh, obviously, the opportunity rate went down, the win rate went down with it, and the cost uh, per opportunity went up. More time, more cost uh, from the sales team to work those leads. Uh, but because that communication wasn't there, that there was a drop-off. And what we discovered later on as the two teams started to talk more and a wider business analysis was done was that over time the product had developed, the business had grown and with it the customer base that was most suited to the business had changed as well. So at the start it was more smaller businesses, over time bigger and bigger brands and businesses came on board and the education material and the marketing message that the marketing team were putting out was still very much targeted towards the smaller guys. So that was a disconnect. Um, that was something that was then solved with that analysis, with that uh, ongoing communication that was then established between the sales team and the marketing team. So the comms going to market could better reflect what the existing customer base and what the growing customer base really wanted. You know, the bigger businesses wanted a more professional tone of voice. They wanted better support material when they're making a business decision on whether to sign up or not. Whereas before, a lot of the material were surrounded by more emotive calls uh, towards business owners, uh, one-man bands, things like that. So that just shows you that without that open line of communication between sales and marketing, you won't catch shifts in your customer base as well. And that's just as important as figuring it out in the first place. Great examples, Kev. Um, sales are absolutely at the cold face there. And sometimes as marketers, it's harder for us to collect that information you know sometimes we 
the information that we get is more lag that we get is more lagging data data that's um, you know going to make sense in a couple of months or so. It takes time to aggregate to see patterns and then to investigate. But sales hear it every day because they're actually talking to these people over the phone or in meetings. <laughs> and you know you and I are absolute suckers for qualitative data. You know uh, forms of data that tell you the how and the why and conversations with people who are your dream customers and those who are not your dream customers are incredibly insightful. And so that's why listeners, make sure you keep that line of communication open with sales. All right, Kev, another metric that I really love is pipeline velocity. So calculating pipeline velocity and then trying to positively influence that number is a great way to make sure that we're making positive influences with our marketing. So Kev, pipeline velocity measures how long it takes a business to move a customer through the sales funnel. It measures that time from the point where they've expressed a need. So that might be coming in as a lead and showing up as a lead in your CRM to the point where they're a paying customer. So sales velocity is a metric that helps to measure all of that. And here's how you calculate it. Take the number of sales qualified leads in your pipeline and multiply that by your win rate percentage and your average deal size. Take all of that, Kev, and then divide it by the average duration of your sales cycle. And presto, that gets you your pipeline velocity. Kev, I'm going to have to put this in an article or a newsletter because I know it's pretty hard when our listeners are running or <laughs> cooking or whatever it is that they're doing to write this down. But let me just give you a quick example, listeners, um, so you can try and get a bit more understanding of what pipeline velocity is. And then, um, Kev, we're going to have to link to an article, aren't we? All right, listeners, for example, let's say that you have 100 sales qualified leads in your pipeline and our average close rate from sales qualified lead to becoming a paying customer is 30%. That gives us 30% Kev, okay? So let's say our average deal size is $1,000. That's now $30,000. So we're taking the 30%, multiplying by the average deal size of $1,000, we've got $30,000. Now we want to divide that by our average sales cycle, which is 100 days, and presto, we get our pipeline velocity at $300. What does that mean, Kev? I mean, look, honestly, it's a relative metric. So we want to positively influence it by improving any of those inputs. And a reminder, those inputs are the number of SQLs that you're bringing in, the average deal size, and then the win rate as well and also how long that sales cycle is. So marketing can really try and impact each and every one of these. So once again, Kev, that was, if we want to get that metric better, that $300 metric that we came up with in that example for our pipeline velocity, we've got to improve any of those inputs. That could be the number of SQLs, that could be increasing the average deal size. So rather than the average deal size being $1,000, we want to try and target customers who have an average deal size of $1,500, for example, or increase the win rate. So then rather than it being 30% of sales qualified leads turning into wins, we want to try and up that higher or shortening the sales cycle. And marketing, this isn't all sales job. You guys can make an impact on each of these. Yeah, George, I think, uh, you know, pipeline velocity itself is a bit of a jargony term. I think for listeners thinking about the concept, if you look at it on paper, the easiest way to understand it, it's a relative measure 
of how much money you bring in each day for the business or potential dollars you bring in for the business. In this case, we're calculating it based on how many SQLs and we're estimating based on our close rate, your average close rate and your average deal size, how much that translates to in dollar value and then just dividing it by the number of days it takes to bring those dollars in. And so that's why it's a pipeline velocity because it's a measure of how many dollars are coming in through the door potentially every day. And as George said, there's a few ways to improve that. And if you're looking at pipeline velocity, if you're looking at improving the metrics that go behind that relative metric, the inputs, as George said, then you're shifting your mindset again. You're looking at the qualitative rather than the quantitative side of things, and you're working towards a more affordable and sustainable growth engine in your business. Well, Kev, I wish you had just said all that instead of me. That was much, much better. Thank you very much. (laughs) All right, Kev, I want to talk now about six ways that marketing can actually help go about improving that pipeline. Um, You know, the first half of this conversation was all about what metrics to really look at. Now we're going to look at how can we improve it. And Kev, the first one we really just ticked off was improving pipeline velocity We've both had a go at explaining it and what inputs are in it. Marketers, as we've said, you've just got to pick any of those um, inputs and try and improve them, and that's going to have an impact on pipeline velocity. I'm not going to go into it any further. The second way, Kev, that marketers can improve the efficiency of their marketing and handoff to sales is to analyze those channels that are bringing in their opportunities or their leads and seeing if there's a difference in quality. So that means looking at both the channels and the places that those leads were captured and measuring their efficiency. So not just looking at your marketing efforts as a whole, but really starting to break down by channel and where that lead was captured. And try and break that down and get as granular as cost per lead, um, cost per MQL, cost per SQL, cost per opportunity, and cost per win. Uh, analyzing this on a channel basis is going to give you more of an indication as to which channels are driving higher intent leads and which channels are more profitable. Of course, no channel truly operates in a silo or a vacuum, but this will give you a good indication. So that means, Kev, diving diving into your Google Ads accounts, your Facebook accounts, your LinkedIn accounts, um, you know, wherever it is, wherever else it is that you're spending time, money, and energy and looking at what percentage of opportunities each channel is bringing for you and at what cost. I think it's important, George, for our listeners to also compare these online channels with offline channels. So a lot of the times when we look at this, we just analyze the online channels. We neglect to compare this to something like events or, as you said, uh, SEO is often sort of like in line with that but not quite comparable and in fact a lot of it is if you just give it a go Um, we won't go into the details of how to do that with seo and with events here but you know if a quick google will give you a million and one ways to figure out some of this stuff Um, and it's just about thinking about putting them on the same level and maybe we'll talk about in a later episode george but important for you listeners to just keep in mind that you should be comparing not just your online channels but also events email seo uh, if you're doing sms um, anything that you're using that you're spending resources or money behind then you really need to be comparing them at the same time Um, and the end result is you can shift some of that spend you can look at how much impact that has uh, when you change the percentages that you put into different channels 
Um, but as George said, they don't live in silos. So often one will help the other. If you kill one over time, the others will sort of drop off as well. So just keep that in mind as you start to shift and test. Um, it's not uh, one channel and that and that's it. Often you can start with that uh, mentality when you have uh, less resources to go around. But hopefully at this stage, the fourth B of our framework, you've got a few channels in place and you're really testing to improve the efficiency of that matrix of channels. Great call out, Kev, when it comes to measuring, you know, even things like events. You know, listeners, your company might have spent ten, twenty thousand dollars for a booth at that conference. You might have collected the details of fifty or a hundred people who are walking by that conference. You know, how did that actually work out? You know, how did that go for you guys? Um, were you able to generate meetings off the back of that? Um, are they people who are in your ideal customer profile? Do they meet that list of clients who would be your dream customers? All stuff to look at and to measure and to compare the investment there versus digital. Kev, the second way that we can start to improve our efficiency um, and somewhat related to that previous point was to really split the funnel at the place where the lead itself was captured. So when I say where that lead was captured was the point at which they effectively became a lead in your system. So for example, do more requested demo submissions become opportunities than people who just fill out your contact us form? You know, and how does that compare to leads that you capture from other sources like events as we just spoke about? You know, that gives you another indication as to where to invest your money for the maximum return. So if Kev, for example, we find that people who request demos from your website uh, become opportunities at a much higher rate than those um, you know, who come to us for events, well, that's an indication that let's keep investing in those activities that are driving that demand so people are requesting demos. I think this point and the point before, listeners, goes hand in hand with what we talked about when we talked about pipeline velocity. There, we were really talking about improving that pipeline velocity by looking at how can open channel communications with sales between marketing and sales improve uh, your marketing engine. So, you know, what feedbacks can you get to improve specific channels? And in these cases, you're then taking that to a multi-channel scenario where, yes, you're doing that for each channel, but you're also looking at how do we better balance the channels themselves. And then once you've done that, also look at, you know, split the funnel, this idea of splitting the funnel where the lead was captured and seeing how does that compare uh, at that particular point with the different channels that you can look at. And this gives you an indicator of, again, how to split your money between the different channels, how to split your money to maximize return. Okay, Kev, the fourth way that our marketers can really try and help improve the efficiency of their pipeline is better lead scoring. Lead scoring, Kev, do you want to quickly just define for our listeners what lead scoring is? So lead scoring, listeners, is the methodology used by sales and marketing departments to determine the worthiness of leads or potential customers by attaching values artificially to them based on their behavior relating to their interests and products or services that they show in interacting with your brand. Yep, very good, Kevin. So listeners, um, you know, you might score your uh, 
your leads based on whatever actions that is that they take or interactions it is that they take with your brand. You know, say they open up one of your newsletters, that might be five points. Um, maybe they read a full long ebook that you've put together that might be 10 or 15 points and then you can trigger certain actions to happen once they reach a score so say they reach a score of 30 40 50 points whatever it is that you define you might decide hey it's actually time to send this person off to sales because they are an engaged or highly engaged contact and they fit our icp and it could be worth sales reaching out to them Kev, that's why better lead scoring is um, actually the fourth point here on how to improve the efficiency of your pipeline. The issue is not really MQLs, Kev. The issue is not marketers collecting MQLs. It's collecting those MQLs and then passing them all off to sales without actually qualifying them at all. So better lead scoring helps gatekeep those bad leads or those leads who are who need to be nurtured further and aren't ready to have that conversation with them from wasting their time. So listeners, an MQL shouldn't just be someone who downloads an ebook. That's not an MQL. What I really recommend that you listeners do is you speak with customers and sales and you figure out at what point it is that they're actually ready to engage with sales. So more often than not, when they are when you ask them, they'll actually tell you like, oh, I want to talk to sales at the point where I understood one, your product's price point, and two, just like after I watch some of your YouTube videos to get a good idea as to how that product is actually going to suit us. At that point, I'm ready to talk to sales. So you can start to try and reverse engineer what that buying journey looks like. And then you can use MQL scoring in some platforms to then score each time the lead goes through that process and then say, hey, Based on what we know about previous customers, um, let's set up our MQL scoring so it reflects that journey and then only pass those leads on to sales. Kev, if we do that, we're going to waste a lot less of their time. That's it, listeners. And hopefully this is one that you'll be able to work closely with the sales team on with your open communication lines you'll be able to figure out these points a bit easier based on their feedback and as well as this it kind of harks back to what we previously talked about talking directly to the customers getting it from the source uh, figuring out where their point of um, I guess the point of sale is ready Um, so make sure you do those two things to try and get at those insights so you can improve your lead scoring. All right, Kev, moving on to our fifth point, and that is listeners, try and timestamp your deal stages so you can see where deals are getting stuck. How can you help move them faster? This is related to pipeline velocity, of course. Um, And Kev, it's implementing, I guess, some sort of measurement tool so we can see, hey, you know, is there a step in our pipeline? Perhaps, you know, we're a customer or potential customer requests a demo, and it takes ages for that meeting to actually get set up. If you use timestamps, Kev, to see how long it takes to move from one stage to the next, well, then you're, gonna, then you're gonna see that it takes way longer on average than it should. And then marketers, you can then start to try and find ways to address that problem now that you've found it. And the answer might not be, hey, we need more advertising, we need more education. There might be a breakdown in the system that you're using or the process. So if the issue is from requested demo to people screwing around and that meeting not getting booked forever, well, you might want to use a lead routing tool or a um, customer demo appointment booking tool like Chili Piper. Um, Chili Piper helps customers book meeting times on the spot as they request a demo and it gets routed to um, a sales rep um, as soon as they book it as well. So 
you can really start to try and resolve that issue. And you're only going to see those issues, listeners, if you put the effort into creating timestamps. Yeah, timestamps a great one, and it makes a lot of sense when you're looking at uh, time velocity. Uh, you know, obviously, time is a factor in there. And another factor that we've spoken about already, and that leads into the sixth and last one that we'll talk about in terms of ways to improve your pipeline is increasing the deal size. So in this case, uh, specifically, we're talking about how can you upsell and cross-sell better? How can you expand the deals that you already have with existing customers? So you can go about doing this by examining which of your customers have already purchased multiple products or have the highest average deal size to see how they came to that point and how they were cross-sold most effectively. And also to look at who is most eligible, fits the same mold, and is most eligible for a cross-sell or an upsell. For example, you can pull together a list of companies that have bought multiple products of yours and find out why those companies have done that. Look at factors like demographic, firmographic, psychographic, all the things that we talked about in the first B, and then create a list of companies who have bought one product from you, but not another. It's a great list to try and then upsell too, because they're comparable to that list that have gone on and bought other products, but they're not quite at that stage yet. And you can look at the differences to see where those turning points are for that cross-sell upsell opportunity. Yeah, Kev, uh, expansion you know, of a deal shouldn't just be left to customer success and sales. Marketing absolutely have a role to play there. Marketers definitely need to play in that full funnel, you know, beyond that initial sale. Um, there's no better person to try and sell more to than a happy currently paying customer. So upselling, cross-selling are huge opportunities for marketers to make an impact. And in many cases, Kevin, often low-hanging fruit that many marketers miss. And George, I think you know some of that hesitation comes from, oh, am I stepping on the toes of sales teams? Am I stepping on the toes of customer success or retention teams? But we're not telling you to go out there and take over the job functions. We're just saying that marketing has a role to play in that. You can work together with those teams, be involved, uh, make sure that they're involved right from the beginning to do these tasks so that you can amplify whatever they're doing and you're all on the same page together. They might be doing the bulk of the uplift with the upsell and the cross-sell, but they'll probably be very grateful for you putting together something on the marketing side so that they can send through right at the beginning or there's a flow at a certain point of the website or existing user login that goes towards them in the sales team who are looking at focusing specifically on upsell and cross-sell. Yeah, great, great point, Kev. Work with those other teams. It could be as simple as, you know, say that you work for a business, there's three tiers um, of services that you offer, I suppose, small, medium, large, in terms of companies and deal size that you work with. Speak to your customer success and say, okay, who has moved from the intermediate or the medium size to the large enterprise size, who's paying us a lot more money, and what were the top features that got them there, that were really, really impactful for them to make that switch to pay more money to get them there. And then you go, okay, great. Well, that's those features. Um, let's find other companies that we have as customers who are like them and let's do the same for them. Let's move them along that journey together. That's it, George. All right, listeners, that is the six ways to improve your pipeline velocity. Key takeaways for this episode. The best marketers are the ones that are analyzing the impact their work is having on pipeline. 
pipeline is the downstream effect of marketing's activities. So we need to make sure that what we're doing is having a positive impact. Start tracking key metrics that show the quality of pipeline and how fast it's moving and use these insights to define the points of friction and opportunities in the sales and marketing process and attack the problems in order of priority together with your marketing and sales teams. Beautiful. Thank you very much, Kevin. Listeners, as always, you can find links to everything we discussed in the show notes. And Kevin and I are so grateful that each week more and more marketers tune in every Monday morning to the B2B Playbook. And if we can ask one thing, it would be to please leave us a short review on whatever platform it is that you listen on or pass it on to someone who you think would get value from the show. It's a huge help to us and we'd really, really appreciate it. Take care, listeners. Take care, Kevin. See you next week. Thanks, George. Thanks, listeners. See you all next week. A quick note before you go, listeners, you can find more great content and get in touch with us at theb2bplaybook.com. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and our newsletter while you're there to get the latest news, tips, and resources from our playbook. We'll be back the same day and same time with another episode next week. Thanks for tuning in to the B2B Playbook. Remember, successful B2B marketing starts with the buyer.